This is the Gathering Ottawa's Message Podcast, and this week we've got another message from our Acts of the Apostles series. For information about us, check out thegatheringottawa.com. To get connected, email info at thegatheringottawa.com. And just know that at The Gathering, we exist to connect people to the love of Jesus. So let's get right to it. I want to ask you a question about the church, okay? Not necessarily our church, but the church in general. Here's the question. In your experience with church, no matter how much or how little that's been, can you think of a time where you've thought something like, this is the church at its best? Or this is church as God intended it to be, or church as described in the New Testament, that this right here is what the church is supposed to be all about. In your experience with church, when's the last time you've thought or said something along these lines, if you've ever thought or said anything along these lines at all? Now, I ask this question, of course, uh, hoping that if you consider the gathering your home church, that you don't have to think too far back or think too hard and too long about this question, that because of your hopefully good experience of community and connection at the gathering and because of your involvement in the life of the church as maybe you've volunteered or served in some way, particularly as you've served in some sort of community outreach, helping us to bless our neighbors, or as you've served with one of our ministry partners to meet the needs of the poor and the marginalized, or, or, or because hopefully of your good experience on Sunday mornings as we worship Jesus together as a community of faith and as we open the scriptures together in order to grow and to become more like Jesus together. I hope that because of all these kinds of things and more, that uh, this isn't a, a super difficult question for you to answer. But whatever the case, whether it's our church or a church that you used to attend or a a church you've even maybe read about in a book or something, can you think of a time where you've thought, this is the church at its best, if you've ever had that thought at all? Well, for me, as I've reflected on this question throughout this past week, I thought a lot about our church, for sure, no question. And, you know, stories of radical generosity that I've seen over the years and of compassion and, and care for one another and, and uh, you know, how this, the church has served one another and, and reached out to the poor and the needy and, and stories of love and acceptance of others, no matter who they are in our church. As I think we've provided a safe place for people to kind of get to know Jesus and experience healing and all all these kinds of things. I, I thought a lot about our church for sure in reflecting on this question, but there was actually another church that I thought of first before I really thought too much about our own. A church that I actually used to attend a long, long time ago, decades ago, actually, in my late teens and into my early 20s. And the thing that made this church so great to me, anyway, was not its programs or its pastor, or its building, or its music, or its Sunday services, or anything like that, but it was the people. And just how much they genuinely cared for one another and loved one another in response to God's love for them. You know, the programs, the the ministries that the churches ran, they were all fine and good. They had a good youth ministry and a good kids ministry and a good small groups 
program and outreach programs and so on and so forth. And the, the Sunday services were good too. The pastor, I thought, was a, was a pretty good preacher and he was passionate about Jesus and he clearly loved uh, the people a lot. And the, the worship music was good too. It was very worshipful and, and Jesus-centered and how they led the congregation into God's presence each and every Sunday. Though, uh, honestly, sometimes they'd get a little bit carried away. It was a little bit more of a, a charismatic church. And so sometimes they'd really get into it and they'd go on for a a long, long time singing songs for like 45 or even 60 minutes, which is a, a lot of singing. I like worshiping Jesus through song, but that's a whole lot of singing and repeating the chorus over and over again. And they actually had flags too. I don't know if you've seen this in churches, but this church had a wall of flags up at the front and also with like sticks and, and ribbons on them and things like this where people during worship could go and they could take a flag or take a stick with ribbons on it and wave it around as an act of worship kind of because of some Old Testament verses that uh, people would read and they would kind of interpret that as a way to worship and whatever. I never really fully understood it, but it was one of the ways that this church worshipped was with flags. I didn't participate in that part, but a lot of people in the church did. In fact, I honestly would get a little bit annoyed by these flags because I'd be trying to worship. I'd have my eyes closed, maybe my, my, my hands up and worship. I'd be praying and, and singing along with the song when all of a sudden I'd get smacked right in the side of the head by a stupid flag and a not so worshipful word would maybe come out of my, my mouth. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's what happened. I can't remember for sure, but uh, I didn't like that. I thought, I thought the flag thing was a little weird, but other than that, I thought the Sunday morning services were pretty good. Um, the, the building, on the other hand, was a total wreck, to be honest with you. It was actually an old office building, not a church building. It was the uh, Niagara School Board's former office building that uh, they, had, they had built a new building and moved out and didn't know what to do with this building. So they ended up leasing this building to the church. Forget this. One dollar a year. One dollar a year. Just so that this church could you know, take care of all the upkeep and so that the school board wouldn't have to worry about selling it or, or tearing it down. So it was an amazing deal for this church, a deal that I'd love to you know, see happen for the gathering one day, that maybe God could provide a building like this for us too. Wouldn't that be amazing? But let me tell you, this building sure needed a whole lot of care. <laughs> it was like a 50 or 60-year-old building that needed a ton of work and unfortunately the church didn't have much of a budget to fix those things and so a lot of those things just went uh, unfixed unrepaired and it was evident at times as you'd walk through the building and as you would you know take a look around for example i remember they had this mustard yellow industrial carpet all throughout the building as again it was an old building probably built in the 40s or 50s so this was like the original carpet that would have been in this old office building and it really needed to be replaced but the church couldn't afford to, to do that and so you know what they did instead well they covered the rips and the tears in this carpet with yellow duct tape and so everywhere you went because this carpet was in, in disrepair it was in rough shape everywhere you went throughout the building you'd see duct tape on the floor like we really, we literally had duct tape for carpet at this church and not just for carpet, but actually there was like duct tape all over the walls and the ceiling it was all over the building, uh, covering leaks in the ceiling and so on. Duct tape was literally holding this building together. It was like an episode of the red green show <laughs> or something. And so 
It wasn't a great building, but it was a free building, which was enough. And honestly, it's quirks and the buckets on the floor for catching the water and the duct tape everywhere. It really added to the charm of the church as ultimately it was the people in the sense of community and love for one another that really made this church so great. So there was, you know, a lot of hurting people that would show up each and every week. A lot of drug addicts that joined this church community, a lot of alcoholics, a lot of people whose lives were spiraling, spiraling out of control, and a lot of people whose lives weren't spiraling out of control too. They were all welcomed in and accepted as part of this community of faith as we cared for one another and loved each other and supported one another in very practical ways, all in response to God's love and grace towards us. It was a very formative experience for me as a young man and as it turned out, a future pastor, as it gave me a vision for what the church could be when the church is at its best. Minus the flags though, of course, right? The church at its best. No flash, no pizzazz, no perfect people because those don't exist, but just love. A deep love for God and a deep love for one another, all rooted in the grace and mercy of Jesus. It was a great example for me of the church at its best, church as God intended it to be. I wonder, have you ever had an experience like this within the church? And, and could it be something that God would want to do in our church? as we learn to love each other and experience this kind of community together as a community of faith. Well, I, I asked this question about the church and I, and I tell this story because as we look at our text here for this morning in Acts 4 verses 32 through to 35, this is something that we see. We see the church at its best, the, the church as God intended it to be. For the past couple Sundays now, we've been looking again, after taking a bit of a break, at the story of the early church, the first church as told in the book of Acts, and at all the amazing things that God did in and through his church, through his people, as it was just getting started. And we're looking at this story and at this book, the book of Acts, now, in this particular season, because I think we need some fresh inspiration as a church, as we hopefully are coming out of this pandemic together. We need a clear and compelling picture and vision of what the church and of what our church in particular could do and could be as we look to Jesus together to become the kind of church that God would desire us to become. A church at its best, right? A church like the one that we see here in the book of Acts. And in the passage that we're looking at here today, Luke, the author, does just this. He uh, gives us a very clear and very compelling picture and vision of the church at its best. Look at how he describes it here in Acts 4, starting in verse 32, where he says this. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything that they had. Or some other translations put it that they had everything in common and that there was nothing that any one person owned that was not available to the community at large. 
because they recognized that they didn't actually own any of it anyway, right? It was all God's. It all belonged to him and was a gift of God's grace to them to be shared with others. That's how they thought about their stuff. That was their mindset around their possessions, which we'll circle back to in just a minute. But look first with me at the opening line of this passage where Luke says that all the believers were united in heart and mind. Now, how many is all here. Well, at this point in this story, it's believed that the church was probably around 10,000 people all in, men, women, and children included, which by all accounts is a whole lot of people, isn't it? 10,000 people is a really big church today. I don't think that there's a church that size in all of Canada, and it was especially big back then in the ancient world as there were just far less people than there are today. And, you know, it, it's funny to me because sometimes people will say things like, you know, mega churches aren't biblical. Maybe you've heard things like this. Maybe you've thought things like this, that there's just no mega, uh, mega churches in the, in the Bible. There's no big churches in the Bible. And that's just not how the church should be. The church should not be so big and so on and so forth. These are some of the things that people sometimes, Christians sometimes say about big churches. And you know what? On one hand, I, I totally Get it. It can be hard to experience true, meaningful, and even biblical community in larger churches at, at times. And I say this as someone who used to work at a large church. I used to be a pastor at a big church in southern Ontario, someone who was responsible actually for connecting people into the life of the church and to make a big church feel small. That was literally my job. That's what I did. And so I understand that feeling about big churches. And I know that some of you have had that experience yourself in bigger churches. And it's one of the reasons why you're now part of the gathering, a, a smaller church. It's because in a small church, it's often easier to get connected. But to say or to imply that big churches aren't biblical, well, you'd have to ignore the entire book of Acts in order to make that case, because the reality is that the early church, as it was first getting started, it was a mega church, 10,000 people, and it was growing super quick. It's actually what makes the second half of this first sentence so incredible to me, where Luke says that all the believers were united in heart and in mind, that all 10,000 believers, they were all somehow united in heart and mind, or as other translations have put it, that they were of one heart and one soul, which I think is absolutely remarkable, isn't it? Like it's, it's hard enough these days to find and to keep unity amongst a small church of like 100 people, or maybe 150, 200 people, but 10,000 people? That sounds impossible. That sounds like something only God can do. In fact, th this is one of the things that happens, I think, when the Holy Spirit moves and when God does his thing. He takes people with diverse backgrounds and he takes people with diverse opinions and perspectives on life and on politics and on theology and on everything in between. And he brings them together in unity where even though they may not all agree on everything, they agree on the main thing. And that is enough, which is exactly by the way, what we see the early church doing here, isn't it? They kept the main thing, the main thing. And what was the main thing? Well, it was this. It was the mission of Jesus and the call of God on their lives as a church, as a community 
of faith. And we see this calling to mission at the very beginning of this book, don't we? It's how the whole entire book of Acts gets started with Jesus saying these words in Acts 1-8 to his disciples, to those who went on to form the early church. Look at what he said, verse, uh, verse 8 of Acts chapter 1. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And you will be my witnesses, he says, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem and throughout Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. This is the mission of Jesus and the call of God on the church, both then and now. It's to live as spirit-empowered witnesses for Jesus in the world, telling people everywhere about the grace and mercy and love of Jesus in both word and deed. And the early church here in this moment, they were crystal clear about this, weren't they? As right before this story that we're looking at here this morning in Acts 4, verses 1 through to verse 31, which is the, the passage of scripture we've worked through over the last couple of weeks, we see there the church being threatened and being told to stop preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus or else. You know what they did in response, in response to these threats? Well, they didn't back down. They didn't stop. You know what they did? They prayed for boldness instead. Boldness to keep preaching the word of Jesus, the word of God in both word and deed. Uh, boldness to keep living as witnesses for Jesus in the world, knowing that as they do, it very well may cost them their lives. This is what God used to unify them and to bring them together as a large group of people. It was clarity of mission and purpose and of calling where even though there was no way that they could all agree about everything, whether we're talking about politics or theology or whatever, they kept the main thing, the main thing while not allowing other things to detract or distract from the mission that God had called them to as the church. For us here today in the year 2022 in North America, we sure could take a page out of the early church's playbook on this, couldn't we? On unity. Because there's just so many things to disagree about and to, to fight about and to divide over these days, isn't there? Whether we're talking about, I don't know, vaccines, for example, or masks, or lockdowns, or the convoy, or, or politics, or what news source it is that you listen to or read, or, or theology, and what the Bible does and doesn't say about this and that and the other thing. There literally is no end to it all, to all the things that could divide us. Like there's a reason why there are now over 45,000 Christian denominations in the world. And it's because we have found at least 45,000 different things to divide over. But the early church was too focused on the mission of Jesus to worry about these kinds of things, things that could divide them, weren't they? Too focused. Because when your life is on the line, as it quite literally was for the early church. And when you're so focused on meeting the needs of others around you, whether it be the, the need for equality and justice in the world or forgiveness and reconciliation in a relationship or, or grace and peace for someone's soul or salvation and healing, all of which ultimately is only provided through the person of Jesus and sharing Jesus with other people. When you see the needs and the mission before you, guess what? You don't have time to worry about or to fight about all that other stuff. Because in the end, you just know it doesn't really matter all that much. 
Like it might feel like it matters a ton right now, I get that, but in the bigger picture of eternity and of life and of the spiritual needs of others and of what God's doing in the world around you, it doesn't really matter all that much. And the the early church seemed to get this, didn't they? They knew what they were called to do. They knew what their mission was and they knew what the cost would be of them and so they didn't have time or energy to worry about or to fight about anything else as they were just so committed as they as they really felt this sense of urgency around the mission of Jesus committing together to keeping the main thing the main thing for us as a church you know what the, the moment we lose sight of the mission to live as spirit-empowered witnesses in the world for Jesus. And the moment we start to make secondary things the main thing, to make opinions our main thing, or politics the main thing, or secondary theological issues the main thing, or anything else the main thing, the moment we let those things uh, detract and distract us from the mission of Jesus, well, that's the moment that our church will start to die. I've seen this happen far too many times. In fact, that church that I mentioned earlier, the, the church at its best with the messed up building, you, you know what ended up happening to this beautiful church? They ended up splitting a couple of years after I left. After a year or two of, of infighting and arguing about things like gifts of the spirit and charismatic theology, among other things, the, the pastor ended up being fired. And more than half the church ended up leaving with him as a result, resulting in a ton of pain and relational carnage. Carnage that is still felt today, decades later. Some of you know all about this as well. You've experienced church splits yourself. And why does this happen? Why do church splits happen in general? Well, ultimately they happen because churches lose sight of the mission which is to reach lost people with the love of Jesus, and they start fighting about secondary things instead. And those secondary things end up killing them in the end. Friends, at the gathering, if you consider the gathering your home church, let this be a warning to you and to me, okay? Lose sight of the mission of God the mission of Jesus, the mission that God has called us to, to connect people to the love of Jesus, and we too could be done. So let's commit instead to keeping the main thing, the main thing, just as the early church did. Okay, moving on. Look now with me at verse 33 and what it was that the early church did as they lived in unity and as they lived out the mission of Jesus together. Look at how they did that in verse 33. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. What did they do in unity as they had clarity of mission and vision? Well, they boldly proclaimed the gospel, right? The good news of Jesus that because of what Jesus has done for us and living the, the perfect sinless life that we could never have lived ourselves and then dying the death that we all deserve, taking our sins with him to the cross and then rising again, conquering sin and death once and for all, we can now be made right 
with God, set free from the power of sin and made whole in Christ as our sins are forgiven and as we are given the Holy Spirit and as we live for Jesus. This was the message that the apostles testified to, that the church testified to and bore witness to. And it's the message that the church today is to testify to and to bear witness to as well. It's the message of Jesus and of his forgiving and healing power. But that's not the only way that they testified to this message, by preaching about it and proclaiming it, telling others about it. They also lived it out in community in some pretty radical ways as well. Look at how they did this in verses 34 and 35 where we read this. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. This is an example, a, a really big example of what Luke said earlier, didn't he? In verse 32, where he talked about how they, the believers, they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything that they had, that in their love for one another and in unity around the mission of Jesus, the, the call of God on their lives as a church community, they committed to taking care of one another at great cost to themselves, living radically generous lives, even selling their property for the sake of meeting the needs of others, for meeting the needs specifically of the poor and the needy amongst them. Which is amazing, right? Because keep in mind that many of the 10,000 new believers who are now part of the church, they weren't from Jerusalem where all of this is taking place. Right? They, they had traveled for the day of Pentecost to be in Jerusalem back in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit came and the church was born. And so now they're like, we're not leaving. Like, look at what God's doing. Look at all the people who are coming to faith. Look at the miracles. We don't want to miss out on this. We're not going home. Which means then that many of them didn't have their own places to stay. They didn't have homes there in Jerusalem. And they were dependent on the Christians who already lived there to take care of them those who had houses, those who had food, those who had some sort of income. They were completely dependent on the community of faith around them, which is what led to the radical generosity of so many, where they shared everything that they had since they knew that it all belonged to God anyway, even going so far as to sell their property in order to take the proceeds and uh, use that to meet the needs of others. It's incredible. The level of commitment that the church, the believers had both to the mission of Jesus and the community of faith around them to one another as they testified to the risen Christ, both in word and in deed, in word and in deed, meaning that they didn't just talk a good game and preach a bunch of sermons about Jesus, but they lived it out as well. And how did they live it out? By practicing radical generosity in response to God's generosity to them. This is a picture of the church at its best, isn't it? United in Christ despite differences, keeping the main thing the main thing. Committed to the mission of Jesus and the call of God on their lives despite knowing how much danger being that committed put them in. And clear in expressing the gospel, both in how they uh, spoke about the gospel in their words and their deeds, testifying to the risen Christ in both word and deed. Imagine now our church, the gathering, living more fully into this picture, into this vision of church, 
where we unite not around our opinions or our political perspectives or our convictions about masks and vaccines or even around secondary theological issues, but we unite around the cross of Jesus Christ instead and the, and the fact that we all desperately need the grace of God and where we commit together to the mission of God, to the mission of Jesus and the call of God on the church in the world as we partner with Jesus to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven and, and where we are clear in our expression of the gospel testifying to the resurrection of Jesus in both word and deed by actually telling people with our words about what it is that we believe and why it is that we believe it while also telling people with our deeds by practicing radical generosity and hospitality towards others, especially those who are in need. Imagine the church, the gathering at its best as God would want it to be. How might God be calling you and me and us together to help make this even more of a reality here in Ottawa as part of the gathering? You know, one of the problems with the North American church today, as I see it, is this. It's consumerism, where church is treated as a product to be consumed and where people think of it as what can the church do for me and my family? How can they meet my needs and make me feel closer to God and make me feel closer and more connected to others? How can the church meet my needs? It's church consumerism, where church is treated as a product to be consumed instead of a, a community of faith to belong to. But the early church didn't have any of that. It was never about consuming, but about giving instead. Just as Jesus gave himself for us by laying his life down for us, the early church laid their life down and their stuff down for the sake of others. And the more that we get that, and the more that we understand that and live into that together, then I believe the more we will become the kind of church that God desires us to become, a church at its best. And so I wonder, how might you and how might we together be able to live more fully into this vision of church together to help realize God's vision for the church, where we could be the church of Jesus Christ at its best together? It starts by coming back to the good news of Jesus, to the gospel, remembering it, committing to living it out in word and deed, to being filled with the Holy Spirit and laying our lives down, our stuff down for the sake of others. Imagine what God could do in our community of faith as we do that, just as the early church did, as we love one another in the spirit of Christ. Let me pray for us. Well, Lord Jesus, that is our desire. We want to love each other just as you have loved us by laying it all down, sacrificing our stuff, our wants, our needs, our desires for the sake of others, for the sake of the poor and the needy and those that you've placed in our lives to care for. God, I pray against any sense of obligation or legalism that might creep in where we say, this is what it means to be the church. We have to do it this way. That's not the point of all this. The point is to respond to you, to respond to your good news, to your love, to your grace, to the gospel. Would you remind us again of what it is that you've done for us and laying your life down on the cross, giving yourself up for us so that we could be forgiven and set free? And then would we be compelled to do the same for others? 
to live in the power of the Holy Spirit as your spirit-empowered witnesses in word and deed, proclaiming with our mouths the truth of Jesus, but also with our lives by living radically generous, radically hospitable lives, bearing witness to the resurrection of Jesus, testifying to the risen Christ. Speak to us about what that could look like today uh, for the gathering, for whatever church people who are watching attend. Help us to commit, empower us to commit to this kind of vision, the vision that you have for the church, the church at its best. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for tuning in. We're back next week with more of our Acts of the Apostles series. Don't forget to check out our website, thegatheringottawa.com, and tune in next week to The Gathering Ottawa's Message Podcast.